Welcome to Talking About Cities, the podcast that connects you with leading innovators working to revitalize cities across America. We talk to the thinkers and doers facing the challenges and celebrating the promise of cities today. I'm your host, Carol Coletta of the Kresge Foundation with part three of a series on reimagining the civic commons. Today, our focus is on Northwest Detroit, where local partners have come together to bring new investment and new opportunity to the community at Livernois and McNichols. Our guests are Michael Forsythe, Maurice Cox, and Alexa Bush. Michael Forsythe is co-director of the Live Six Alliance, a one-stop shop for authentic, inclusive neighborhood revitalization focused on the Livernois and McNichols corridors. Michael is the former small business director with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation, where he ran Motor City Match and Revolve Detroit to facilitate entrepreneurship, real estate development, and arts investment in Detroit's neighborhood business districts. Maurice Cox is an architect, urban planner, former mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia, design director for the National Endowment for the Arts, and an associate dean at Tulane University. But Maurice is now planning director for the city of Detroit, where he has built a substantial professional planning staff. He and his staff are using the concept of the 20-minute neighborhood to organize the city's revitalization. She is a landscape architect and has guided the Civic Commons demonstration in Detroit since its inception a year ago. Together, they are collaborating on Detroit's three-year initiative to reimagine the Civic Commons, part of a five-city effort funded by the Kresge Foundation, JPB Foundation, Knight Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, plus the William Penn Foundation in Philadelphia. The goal is to reinvest in civic assets to create communities where everyone has a stake and everyone belongs. Give me the project headline. I'll take it. Um, So really I think what we are looking at in Detroit is really framing neighborhood redevelopment through an inclusive growth lens that really focuses on how can that civic infrastructure and investing in that civic infrastructure direct the way that that redevelopment starts to happen in a neighborhood and really the infusion of a lot more urban life, urban activity, the mixing, what does that look like not just in an urban downtown but really in a neighborhood of the city that once did have a lot of these centers the smaller main streets the smaller neighborhood nodes that have really experienced a lot of disinvestment over the last decades of how do we imagine not only the built form that we inherit from the 1950s with all of what it comes with and really start to think about looking toward the 21st century what is a neighborhood what are those pieces of urban life and how do we think about choreographing the redevelopment of physical assets, but also the maybe instigation or cultivation of that civic life around it. If I had to say it in one word, it'd be reconnections, right? So we're reconnecting the universities to the neighborhood they live in. We're reconnecting vacant land into a park, a greenway. Um, We're reconnecting people with job opportunities to make a difference. We're reconnecting even, you know, amongst our own team. What's it like for 
of local CDC who's just getting started to work, you know, with a new planning department on big projects again. So it's, it's a series of reconnections at all scales. Uh, and I think that's what's really exciting to me. You know, we get to work on that process piece in addition to the projects in a really exciting way that kind of brings everybody together around this project. So it's been a good catalyst. I'd say it's kind of reimagining neighborhood life and what it might look like in the 21st century, given a whole new series of assets that uh, the neighborhood didn't have in the past century. In our case, it's vacant land, which when this neighborhood was established, it was fully built out. Every lot was occupied with a home. And now their asset is land that's made available as a result of houses being removed. And it actually forces you to rethink neighborhood life. Can you turn a random assortment of vacant lots into a new neighborhood center? Can you take other lots that are strung together across the length of the neighborhood and turn it into a greenway? Can you take a school that's been vacant for years and insert something that becomes a new center for the neighborhood. So some of them are old assets, some of them are new assets that are yet to be shaped into a form and place, but fundamentally I think that's what we're trying to do. Detroit's version of reimagining Civic Commons from the very beginning was this notion of taking something that everyone else thought of as a deficit Mm -hmm. and looking at it as an asset. And each of you has had experience doing that in various ways. I mean, that's a conversation that I think has been really hard to come to. And it's almost as if, Maurice, you just said it, it's almost as if if we couldn't deploy the same playbook we'd already used. If we couldn't replace that vacant lot that once had a house on it with a house that's used for residents, it was like we couldn't think of it. But all of a sudden this team is thinking of vacancy in very new ways. I'm curious how you came to that. I mean, it wasn't just, well, we have no other choice. We didn't have the development momentum to put those you know, people back into houses on those lots. Or was it something else? Is it out of necessity? Is it out of, we want to define a better neighborhood life? I mean, tell me what's behind that kind of thinking because we need to do a lot more of it in our cities. Right. Yeah. You know, it's amazing because those lots were there for years and the answer was kind of hiding in plain sight. And what may have changed was a community conversation that was had about, it's like a reality check. If we can't fill every lot with a family uh, in a new house, well then what? Is there something that can make our neighborhood whole again without the typical development tool? So. I feel that I walked into that conversation that was instigated through the Detroit Future City process and allowed us to rethink what was an asset and what wasn't. But it has some structural hurdles, right? It, you know, there are alleys and there are streets that have to be crossed in order to make sense of vacant land as something that could be thought of as a center or a park. 
walking on a greenway that crosses the grain of the neighborhood, literally it's perpendicular to the system of sidewalks. That's a new framework. Someone said, oh, you mean we can actually traverse the neighborhood by not going on the sidewalk? We can actually go against the grain? Those things are not obvious to people because all of this kind of infrastructure has taught us how to move through our neighborhood. You see a sidewalk, that's where you're supposed to walk. You see a vacant lot, you're not supposed to walk there. (laughs) And yet, People found, um, they have these desire lines where people just find natural shortcuts through their neighborhood because the space is available. Being able to come in and formalize that and actually make it something that is a thing of beauty, I think was the act. And I think the neighborhood benefited from having an expanded team to help them interpret things that they were already doing. So I don't know if you have other ways on how people made the pivot from understanding that that was an opportunity and not a hindrance. Yeah, I mean, I come from a small business background. I'm a small business owner, and I, you know, think about time and place in terms of like market conditions and kind of where we are. And it's actually a really amazing book by uh, William Bungie. It's called Fitzgerald: Historian Revolution. It tells the whole story of the neighborhood. And this started off as a farming community. You know, when you think about the pattern of how our cities are developed, it starts off as a farming community. Now we have this vacant land. We have an opportunity to, again, like, grow food and create an opportunity to sustain ourselves in that neighborhood, to sell food, produce food. Like, you could go sit at a restaurant, and that restaurant could actually be growing its food right in the neighborhood. And that is going to create a really fascinating market dynamic, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about, you know, how you deal with these dispersed lots, creating a central park, all the housing we're going to do is going to rapidly change the outlook again in this neighborhood. But in a lot of respects, like, we're not necessarily doing anything that hasn't been done before. It was just done like 100 years ago. Or at a very small scale. At a very small city. scale. Yeah. So looking at this neighborhood again in this historical context, Detroit has an opportunity to do something different again because the market conditions are such that we're starting from that level again. So it's a really fascinating opportunity at this point in time in terms of market conditions, physical conditions, social conditions to really maybe do it again and do it again right. And I think that's really what we're trying to do. That's the challenge, you know, to create really great places that people want to live and grow food and raise families and, and that. So. And I come at this as a landscape architect, and so I think what to me is really interesting that's sort of a broader conversation is even around a concept that maybe pulls itself out of the evolving environmental movement around resiliency, and sort of how do we actually think about resiliency not just as our environment, our systems, but what if we actually saw kind of the city in the vein of that system? Detroit, where we're working, really developed when there was a huge manufacturing culture it was almost that utopian idea of you work in the factory, you can buy a home, and this is yeah. where you live. I think we've seen since that time with manufacturing, with the 2008 recession, there have been these huge shocks to the system. And how does the city respond to it? Is success like we go back to that system? Or do we say, like, 
maybe rebuilding this neighborhood actually means we're going to build a very different kind of neighborhood that even if we do see people come back to the city would we want to build in the same way i think we're at this moment to be able to make that pivot and really question those assumptions you know my grandparents lived in detroit my mom grew up in detroit i come at this from a very different generational lens where i think mm -hmm. i understand and appreciate that history but it's not something that i personally remember that i don't know how much of this is sort of a generational shift as well of just bringing other ideas or visions of what urban life might be into the mix but i do think that yeah when we were just talking a lot about like what does success look like um i think that being able to make that pivot from it's a return to the past to you know maybe parts of the past didn't work as well how do we actually take the best of that and not be purely nostalgic but say what might this look like if we were to say like what does our future want to be you're listening to Talking About Cities. Our guests today are Detroit Planning Director Maurice Cox, Live 6 co-director Michael Forsythe, and Senior City Planner Alexa Bush. So the challenges. I have to ask you about the people challenges. I mean, you're trying to coordinate your efforts. You've got a couple of foundations in this with both feet. You have neighbors that must be questioning is this good? Is this bad? What is my role in it? How will it affect me? So just talk about where you are, what, we're nine months into this. Michael, you're much newer to yeah. it. Where are we with the relationships within the team and then with the neighborhood? Who wants to start? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get a nerve. <laughs> Um, I think Just be that, honest. I'm I really curious. It's, um, I don't know if people realize how hard this is. It's easy to deliver a park. It's hard to deliver a park which comes from the people who live there. Uh, it's hard to deliver a park that is loved and utilized and cared for. I think the challenge is how do you engage people deeply in the delivery of the, this new civic infrastructure? So much so that at the end of the process, they own it, they care for it. That's a high bar to build that in uh, to a process. How do you acknowledge that this is hard work and it's not going to literally be a cakewalk, it's not going to be easy, and that that kind of creative tension is what the work looks like? So you just better toughen up your skin and jump in and get it done. In our conversations, we've used terms like, you know, we're doing something historic here. And if, and if that is true, and I actually fundamentally think it is true, don't think this is gonna be easy. Uh, prepare yourself for it to be challenging at every step of the way. And it also prepare yourself to change your frame of reference for how you get things done because everybody I feel has a really critical role to play and the moment they don't hold up their part of the bargain the whole process is out of sync so I think trying to assure that all hands are on deck and people are lifting up the thing that they can genuinely bring to move the work forward I think that's the big challenge yeah, and I, I just add, you know, Reese, you touched on this, right? What's the process to create ownership at every level? Mm -hmm. And so from a CDC standpoint, I think one thing that is really challenging to us is there is not 
strong CDC leadership in this neighborhood. Our CDC is a year and nine months old. And so I think some of the tension from our organization is we want to be further ahead, but relationships, like anything good, take time and effort to build. So, you know, I think that there's a dynamic at play there. And then, you know, you keep filtering it down to lower and lower levels, like San Juan Black Club has been super active. Figuring out ways to empower all those people through the process and really kind of create streams of work that everybody feels like they can own is outstanding. Even Ronnie at Greening of Detroit, you know, he's a neighbor there and is so proud that like his hands cleaned up that neighborhood and talks to everybody about it. So to me, yes, there's dynamic politics at play, how the city and the funders and CDCs all work together. That'll all play itself out, but like getting the Ronnies to feel ownership in investing in the neighborhood and ideally like creating a small economic opportunity there that then could potentially create a career for him or his children or grandchildren, like that's the real ownership model. And so I think part of the tension is we all know we have things we need to deliver in three years, but these are 30 year goals. When that's when we'll know it really works. That's when we should reconvene this conversation and like <laughs> see then how we're playing together. You may have to do it without me in 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> I don't want to be pessimistic yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there is an amount of vulnerability yeah. that you really have to own to be able to do this work. Yeah. And that I think having the strength to actually figure out all these things, like how do we work together? How does this work? This feels awkward. This maybe isn't working where you don't just stop and say like, oh, it's not working. I'm not, I'm not in. Yeah. We're all having a right. fight about all wanting the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I think, I think that, I think the challenge maybe at a individual player level or to people doing this work is actually figuring out, am I being vulnerable enough and open enough to have that conversation or to say like, you know what, this hasn't been done. I'm going to put this out there. It might actually not work. If it doesn't, that doesn't feel good. But you have to, I think, be willing to at least put something out there and test it and let it fail to be able to know if it's working or to create something new. I think a lot about the Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena quote quite a bit of you get beat up and it's a fight, but there's something really vulnerable about that that I think is critical to doing this work. I appreciate you doing it. Alexa, Mike, Maurice, thanks so much for being with us on Talking About Cities. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks to our guest, Michael Forsythe at Live Six, Maurice Cox, Detroit Planning Director, and Alexa Bush, Senior City Planner in Detroit. And thank you for listening. You can always hear the latest Talking About Cities podcast and the archive of past shows at kresge.org, and there you can also find links to learn more about our guest. Contact us at talkingaboutcities at kresge.org with your comments and suggestions. I'm your host, Carol Coletta, Senior Fellow with the Kresge Foundation, American Cities Practice. And until next time, let's keep talking about cities.